Pink with Walk Me Home. That was Gail's choice. If you want to know who Gail is, Gail Johnson, because it's Tuesday, we're doing as always the hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Many of you would know Gail for her sterling work in the fight against HIV and AIDS and getting as many people, children as well as their mothers, their necessary dignity for want of them being denied so much of it simply because they have HIV and AIDS, which is a condition like any other condition. Of course, we know Gail Johnson, especially for being the adopted mother of the now late Ngosi Johnson, who this year would be in his 31st year. More on that about her and the balance of the program with Gail Johnson immediately after the break. For those who want to participate, you know the tradition, please do so. 0891-104-207. Good evening. Thank you again for joining us. Welcome to our list. To our new listeners, Put South Africa First people, we welcome you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. After the break, we talk about all things to do with socioeconomic justice. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Your son would be turning 31 this year, Gail. In fact, would have turned 31, I understand. Yes. How do you feel? You're on air. You're reflecting back on a life well-lived, 11-year-old boy who had as much impact as many in a lifetime of 70 years. Can only bear, can only what, barely imagine, much less achieve. And you were there to see him to his final days. How do you feel now that we reflect fondly of him and the great work he has done in the greater good for the greater majority? I feel wonderful. It's it's actually amazing that it's been 19 years. Yes, he would have been 31 on the 4th of February. And I often wonder what he would be like as a 31-year-old young man. Um, but knowing him, he would have carried on some fight. And although, you know, the HIV-AIDS fight is not over, and mm. tremendous strides have been made, but, yeah, we still need to do a lot of work. I mean, he was the keynote speaker at the 13th International AIDS Conference, the young Ngozi Johnson, where he encouraged people with HIV and AIDS to be open about the disease and to seek equal treatment. His speech that he gave at that conference ended something like this. Care for us and accept us. We are all human beings. We are normal. We have hands. We have feet. We can walk. We can talk. We have needs just like everyone else. Don't be afraid of us. We are all the same. In your work that you have done during his life and post his life for 19 years, do you think that there is still a need for these words of Ngozi Johnson to reverberate? Or generally, do you get the sense South Africans have done that? They caring and have accepted the human beings that they are, that we are, that persons who carry HIV and AIDS in the mark. What are your thoughts? Um, I think there is a lot more acceptance. I think the level of fear has dropped considerably because when he made that speech, the fear around touching an infected person or sitting next to an infected person was horrendous. I mean, Gugu Lamini was stoned because she came out with her status. So, yes, tremendous strides have been made, and it's, and it's great. 
you know, and I just see it in the ambience of Nkosi's Haven Village, that there is still the denial. Uh, we have a young girl there of about 18. She only weighs 22 kgs because um, her caregiver, who is an aunt, didn't want her to have her medication because it was an acknowledgement of her status. So, you know, there's that problem, which should not be happening today. People should not be dying of AIDS or an AIDS-related disease, but some people are still dying. Let's talk about the government's rollout program. I think it really picked up momentum in the change of administrations between former President Mbeki and Zuma. In fact, Minister Motswaledi can for the most part be credited with the massive antiretroviral treatment and getting people on the necessary medication. To the extent that you have obviously been monitoring and seeing the changes, can you comment on anything that South Africans might possibly be taking for granted or altogether be ignorant of, which is important in our continued understanding of South Africa and HIV and AIDS, both at policy and at law and at a societal level? Um, look, yes, there are two, two aspects here. Um, we deal with teenagers who... Want, who default because they don't want their medication because that's an acknowledgement of their status. So, you know, I sometimes draw up a contract with that teenager and say, you have a right to health, a right to medication. But having ARVs is a privileged right. The government has committed to you to maintain your health. Therefore, you commit to government by taking your medication, because it's, it's a, to me, it's an, almost like an honor that someone has invested in my health. And I think that has to be acknowledged by so many people, because we do. We have the highest number of people on ARVs in the world, and which is absolutely stunning. And it does cost. And it, now for so many people, it's only one pill a day. So it's that kind of thing that um, I think HIV people, positive people, should acknowledge and and um, feel, almost feel proud, and mm-hmm. maybe that's the wrong word to use, but that mm-hmm. they are being cared for. Let me ask this question in relation to that. You mentioned that South Africa has the highest number of persons on HIV and AIDS treatment. South Africa's population relative to the world of seven plus billion people is less than a single percent. What is it an indictment of the fact that we would have the highest number of people on HIV and AIDS treatment in the world relative to our population size in that very same world? I mean, there's obviously a dichotomy there. The question is, what is it an indictment against in relation to South Africa? Oh, God, that's a hell of a question. Um, it, well, you're looking at a taxpaying population of, what, seven, eight million, carrying the load of five million, 5.5 million on ARVs. That, that's a hell of a load financially. 
But at the same time, it then looks at the number of people infected um, in South Africa versus, you know, on a pro rata basis. It boils down that we still have one of the highest number of infected people in, in the world. And, and that's, that's a worry still. That's exactly the question. Why is South Africa still with this statistic? Are we not making improvements in perhaps the education of young people about the dangers and ever-presence of HIV and AIDS and leading a lifestyle that doesn't lead to the kind of results that we are seeing because of these numbers that you've just given us? Sangeezi, I think a lot of it is because there is no medication, I don't have to worry. So, um, you know, I can take a pill or I'll be given a couple of pills if I convert and become full-blown. And our, our population, our people are also being put onto ARVs as soon as they test positive. So there is a carelessness, and there's a carelessness in the youth um, of 15 to 25, 30-year-olds. Because, I, you know, so often I think people think it will never happen to me, um, but there is now medication. And there is still, I prefer, um, you know, people prefer sex without a condom. There is still all of that issue. And, you know, the young girls, you've got the blessers and all that issue. Um, and I think for me, so many people are emotionally deprived. So they, they go with someone to be with, acknowledged as a person. And so they don't care as long as they are loved in inverted commas. Loved in inverted commas, indeed. We're going to continue the conversation. Hold hold, hold the thought there, Gail, because we have to take a a very short ad break. We will return and you'll continue this conversation in the context of the numbers and behavior and potentially the lack of, if anything, being impressed upon. Stay tuned, everybody. SAFM Viewpoint, Tuesday Takeover. Gail Johnson is our guest. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Yeah, those were the eminent words of the young champion for HIV and AIDS, the late now Ngosi Johnson, born, I beg your pardon, born, yes, born February 4, 1989, died 1 June 2001 at the age of 12. And his words for a 12-year-old at that time talking about HIV and AIDS ring true now as they have always been. Thank you so much then to the mother, adopted mother of Ngosi Johnson, Gail Johnson, for joining us on the line. Gail, you are continuing the conversation in relation to promiscuity, indifference perhaps, or even ignorance at times in relation to how now, just because there are all these safeguards which some 20, 30 years ago were not there, it has allowed us, so to speak, to be indifferent in relation to our behavior. You want to carry on what you were saying before the break, please? Um, Somewhere, I guess, though, I personally think a lot of the time, as I said, 
there's emotional deprivation. You know, there's absent fathers. There, um, there is impoverishment and so many issues that make someone long to be acknowledged, long to be recognized. And along comes someone, and if there is an instant attraction or whatever the case may be, and it's so easy for a young girl to get involved without thinking of consequences. We look at the, the number of, of teenage pregnancies in this country. We look at the number of abandoned babies, and it's all because they want to be acknowledged or wanted. And I think it's so important that we should be, as a country, addressing this because so many of our young girls feel that they can only function with the acknowledgement or the input from someone else. That they, they, they need to be raised to be their own person. And it's, a lot of work has to be done and a, and a, a lot of zooming in on that person or that child or that young woman. And likewise for boys, you know, it's, there's so many needs and so many wants that aren't being looked at and that needs to be addressed as far as I'm concerned. You know, yes, there's sexual attraction. Yes, there is fun. But if you, if you look at how we behave in general in this country, just let's, for example, COVID-19. How many people are wearing masks when they should be wearing masks? How many young girls are being attracted or attracted to a young man and not thinking, not for one minute, thinking of consequences if I get involved? It's, it's scary, it's very scary. For sure, it would be scary. No, I appreciate that. But I, I hear you talking to young ladies and young girls about this. And here's something that has come through from one of our listeners, Ms. Nangam Sokoza. Today, HIV-positive women are getting sterilized illegally and without their consent. We are making a retreat in this particular regard. To the extent that I have just quoted that, what do you understand that to mean and how, to the extent that it is true, is it happening? Why, more importantly, would it be happening? Well, I have no idea, and I cannot com comment on this. No, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much. But, but having said that as well, you, you again, I'll just refer to the comments you've made in relation to girls and women, and, and you made a passing remark about boys. I, I think I would imagine, anyway, that the responsibility and the concern that you have with regard to young girls should to that extent equally be for young boys. I mean, it is obvious that girls don't get pregnant on their own and the advances are more often than not made by the boy to the girl. And of course the girl consents, even though South Africa's record in non-consensual non sex is pretty high. I'm talking about rape, of course. But young boys equally need to be taught and that education that girls need to have and that moral and social support that they need imaginably should be there for the boys too. Final comments in this particular sense? Totally. And again, I'm coming back to the absent father scenario because there are very few role models for young boys to, to look up to or to have a dad to sit and chat. 
um, with and learn about responsibilities. There's Very well. To be, you know, such a freedom or, or a care, carelessness because there are no boundaries. And who, who would love to hear those the boundaries? The parents. And if dad's not be, around, or mom might not even be around, who draws those boundaries? Who draws those boundaries? That's a question that Gail Johnson signs off with in this segment as we get to know her and the work that she does as the founding director of Ngosi's Haven. Of course, Ngosi would be Ngosi Johnson. Gail Johnson is the adoptive mother of the young lad who passed away at the age of 12 years in June of 2001. His work and his legacy is unrivaled in relation to the fight for HIV and AIDS, but fundamentally and in line with Section 10 of our Constitution, the right to human dignity. His work continues, and I'm sure there are those at home who remember fondly the times of Ngozi Johnson and the fight that he, together with the late President Nelson Mandela as well, fought for the purposes of ultimately giving people dignity. 0891-104-207. Your thoughts, comments, and Anything related to HIV and AIDS, the work of Ngosi's Haven, and the legacy itself of Ngosi Johnson, we would welcome your thoughts. 0891-104-207. Gail, tell us about your guest because we are about to end this particular segment. And then when we take that break and when we do return, it will be you and your guest. Thank you. My guest uh, tonight is Judy Nokwekevi, who is a very well-known businesswoman. She got involved and was one of the founders of Love Life. Um, she's been on the board of SABC, board of a whole lot of corporates, and um, going strong and still taking on any challenge, and um, a very good friend. Fantastic. Let's then take this short ad break and then you can talk to your very good friend about her work and the things that you want to talk to us about. You're keeping your cards very close to your chest. We will be listening in a few minutes from now. Gail Johnson returns as the Tuesday Takeover. Stay tuned, everybody.